Bibles to 1 Corinthians 16. Our text this morning is verses 1 through 4. And I'm going to read our text this morning. Would you stand with me as I read 1 Corinthians 16? I know you just sat down, but let's uh, stand up and let's read it together. This is the word of the Lord for us here this morning. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside, store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Father, we ask that you will empower the preaching of your word. We remember that your word is a gift to us. It equips us to be the men and women that you have called us to be by your grace. So may we understand what your word teaches. May we know it, believe it, and then do it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it's been a while since we've been in this letter to the Corinthians. In fact, it's been since the fall. We took a break for a little bit to go through Ephesians chapter 4. The title of the sermon this morning is Respond to Grace with Faithful Giving. Respond to Grace with Faithful Giving. And as you can tell from the title, Today, we're talking about giving in the offering. And the question might come up, and honestly, it probably should come up, why are you teaching on this this morning, Pastor Ben? What's the agenda? Well, let me tell you the agenda. It's to preach the word. And we believe at this church, we have a philosophy of preaching that is called expositional preaching, expository preaching, which means we preach through different books of the Bible, and we systematically work our way through that book, going verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, and, and we take the, that paragraph, we try to understand, or that, that book, and understand the intent of the human author, the intent of the, the Holy Spirit, and we seek to under, understand what that verse or those verses mean, and then we trust the Holy Spirit to apply that to our life. And we believe as a church that God speaks to us through his word, through the preaching of his word, through personal Bible study. And there's some churches that want you to come to their church to listen to you or to them preach about how you can hear from God. Well, it's pretty simple. Read his word, study his word, hear his word preached. And to the degree that is that the preaching of the word aligns with the word of God is to the degree that you can hear the words of God. And so we believe providentially God brings us to different passages at different times. It's not really even planned. It's just this is what it is. And so the reason we are preaching on money this morning, on giving, is because this is the next text of scripture that God has for us. I... Also would like to point out, though, that that's not always the case in churches. You see, if you talk to or you read books by people who are church strategists, 
in other words, known as pragmatic pastoral advisors, they actually recommend that pastors preach on giving once a year. And typically it's, you know, December. It's at a, a prime time, if you could say it that way, to make sure you get as much giving as you possibly can get. And so there's many times a motive because they want to, you know, increase the church budget or because this is a time when, when, when people might give a lot, so let's go ahead and ask them to give. Or, or maybe there's another motive behind that. If you watch televangelists, you'll see that they're asking for your money constantly, maybe every time they're on there. I heard once someone said, once said that there's two things that are impossible. Number one, for God to lie. That's in the scripture. And the second one is for televangelists to not guilt you into giving them money. But but the reality is, is that it's good. I want to mention this because I think it's helpful for us to consider that there are ulterior motives that many times churches may have and even pastors may have to giving. So you might have heard preaching on giving in the past and it, there could have been another motive, and therefore behind that could be some unbiblical teaching. So it's, it's helpful for us to consider what the reason is, why we are, are doing this. I was reading someone that was talking about their philosophy of giving and this, this kind of sh- strategy to get more from people, and they said it like this. If you preach on giving, the funds will come. It's like, what is that? That's, honestly, what is that? That's called manipulation. That's called greed, and it's called extorting the sheep. It's no different than what the money changers, money changers did in the temple when Christ went out in there and he cleaned the temple out, and he said, this is my father's house. It's to be a house of prayer. You've made it into a, a den of robbers, a den of thieves. And so we come to this text of scripture, and we look at this saying, How can we faithfully obey God in this area? This is not a way to guilt you to give money. This is not a way to even bribe you to say, if you give more to God, you'll get more. There's a church in town. I don't typically say things specifically, but I think it's helpful because this church is definitely not teaching the gospel. It's called Revelation and I was looking in Revelation Church, and I was looking at some of their sermons. And from two months ago on their YouTube, it, there was a sermon titled this. If you understand this, you'll never be poor again. And this sermon views not having a certain amount of money as a curse. And if you just give more, of course, give more to them. If you give more, then you'll get more. Or you've heard it, maybe people say it like this. Sow a seed today, and the blessings will come your way. Or I've read of another church in the valley that said it like this. They said, give, and if you don't get back, you have a money-back guarantee. And we'll give you your money back. And again, I say that because those are wrong approaches that some of you have been sinned against as you've sat under preaching and you've heard preaching on on teaching on money and you've you've heard those things and that's a terrible approach to it. And, And truthfully, I think there's some sinful motives behind some of those. Scripture says 
Paul says that many people do peddle the word of God. 2 Corinthians 2, 17, for we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, in the sight of God, we speak Christ. You see, God right now, he sees my heart. He sees our hearts. He knows the hearts of our elders here. We're in the sight of God. And we should never use God's word to try to peddle the gospel. And so we approach this topic. I, I do it in a way that, frankly, I don't want to preach on this passage. <laughs> I told my wife that last night. I said, I don't like preaching on this kind of stuff. Because I don't want our church to be about material things, to be about money. On the one hand, on the other hand, I recognize that actually God wants us to be faithful with material things. Actually, money is a revealer of our heart, of what we love, of what we cherish. And so we want to preach this text of scripture. Now, I want to preach this text of scripture because God commands us to preach the whole counsel of God. That's not the right passage, but I'll read Acts 20, 20. Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. In other words, I want to profit you by teaching you the word. I taught in public and house to house. He says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And so we preach this morning, this passage out of faithfulness. But also, as you can see in the text on the screen, Matthew 620, Jesus, he addressed money. And Jesus told us that money is like a barometer. Matthew 20, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus was teaching that you center your life around that which you love the most. You spend money on that which you love the most. If you want to see whom you love or what you love, go to your bank account and see what you've spent your money on. Go to your budget, if you have one, and see what you spent your money on. If you consider this world and yourself and entertainment as most valuable, then you will spend most of your money on that. If you value the things of this earth, then you will invest in the things of this earth. But if you consider the treasures of heaven if you consider Christ, if you consider his word, if you consider the gospel, if you consider souls to be most valuable, then you will invest in that. You will take your worldly possessions and you will invest in eternal riches. And so that's why we speak on this text of scripture. So what is 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4 about? Well, it's about responding to God's grace with faithful giving. The big idea of these four verses is this right here. It's that those graced by God must faithfully give through the local church to meet gospel needs in worship of Christ. Those graced by God must faithfully give through the local church to meet gospel needs in worship of Christ. And it's going to take us two weeks to go through this passage. And so we're really just going to deal with the idea of the purpose of giving, and that is to meet gospel needs in worship of Christ. Notice Ephesians, or notice 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. It says, now concerning the collection of 
the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you are also to do. If you read through 1 Corinthians, it might seem like this text of scripture just jumps out of nowhere. Like, why does he all of a sudden start talking about giving? Well, you can see a little hint of that in those first two words, now concerning. If you remember back to our teaching through the chapters, I think starting in verse chapter 7 and going through chapter 15, you can remember he was answering questions for the church. In fact, do this with me. Go back to chapter 7, verse 1, and notice that in that passage, he starts by answering questions that they had. And in 1 Corinthians 7, 1, notice, we're going to walk our fingers through the scripture here, 1 Corinthians 7, 1, notice he starts Now concerning, now here's some matters, here's some issues. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. And in that chapter, he addresses marriage and singleness. Then go to chapter 8, verse 1. Notice he goes to another topic, and that's Christian liberty. Now concerning food offered to idols. And then go to chapter 11. And actually, this is chapter 11 through chapter 14. And you can see now he deals with worship in the church and how we are to have reverence under the preaching of God's word. We are to gather in unity at the Lord's table. We are to do all things decently in order. In fact, go to 1 Corinthians 14. Look at verse 40. You can see in verse 40, he concludes with that. This is the conclusion of how are we to gather as his church on Sundays. And then 1 Corinthians 15, he goes into the gospel. And basically he says here, here's what's most important when you gather as a church. What's most important for us as a church? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. What's of most importance? The gospel. That is that Christ came and he died for our sins and he was buried and he rose again. And what you see in chapter 15 is the gospel of grace. You see, God saves us by his grace. You see that God keeps us by his grace. In fact, at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you can see one day our souls and our bodies will be transformed, and they're transformed by the grace of God. In fact, look at verse number 10 of 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He says, everything that's good in my life, everything that God's done in my life, everything, every blessing from God is by his grace. I am who I am by the grace of God. And then he ends the passage really crying out. It's like, this is like the fireworks at the very end of this book here. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he, he, or 57. He cries out and prays, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for his grace. Thank you, God, for rescuing me. Thank you for saving me. And so what do you do when you're filled, when you're lavished with the grace of God? What do you do? Verse number 58. Therefore, as a result, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In other words, when the grace of God comes to you, It sustains you and it actually motivates you to go serve the Lord. And with all of that, we say, chapter 16, verse 1, that that grace that we receive from the Lord, we are to respond to that grace by giving. 
So that's the context of this. We, we don't, it's not just, okay, here's the next thing. Give to the church. It's God has graced you. He has given you so much. Since God has given to you, you are to respond in worship and to give back to the Lord. And so let's first look at the purpose of giving. Next week, we'll look at the habit of giving and then the administration of giving. So the purpose of giving. What is the purpose of giving in the offering? We have boxes in the back. We have online giving. We have probably some other ways you can do it. I think you can just send it to the church office here. What's the purpose of doing that each week? Well, we give to meet gospel needs in worship of Christ. We give to meet gospel needs in worship of Christ. Notice verse 1 of chapter 16. Now concerning the collection of or collection for the saints. So notice it's a collection for the saints. Well, who are saints here? Let's broaden that. Who are saints in general? Well, the very beginning of this book, he calls those in the Corinthian church, the believers in the church, he says, your saints, together with all the other churches, they have saints. Who are saints? Saints are holy ones, ones who have been made holy by Christ. It's not because you're righteous. It's not because you're good, because you're not. It's because you've trusted in the one who is righteous, who is holy, and he's gifted you his holiness. So you, your identity is that you are a saint. And I'm going to say this, like, I, I, sometimes we hear people say, you know, I'm a sinner and we talk about that. But can I tell you our identity right now is that we are a saint. And yes, you've sinned. And yes, you still sin and you confess that. But in the eyes of the Father, he views you as, as, as he's viewing Christ. And that is that you have the holiness and the righteousness of Christ. So, so this is for the saints, for believers And who are the particular saints he's speaking about here? Likely, these are the believers in the Jerusalem church. So I I got a map here for you to help you out. I don't know if you like to understand geography, but this is going to help you if you do. Maybe orient your mind. Paul is writing this letter from the city of Ephesus. So find Ephesus up there. He's writing this letter to the church in Corinth. So find Corinth up there. And they are collecting money for a gift to give to the Jerusalem church. That's the big red dot up there. And so you can find that up there as well. See, the Jerusalem church was the hub of Christianity in that time in the first century. Remember, Christianity, the church started in Jerusalem and it spread out to there. And Paul went to these different places and other gospel workers. They gave the gospel in Greece and Macedonia and Achaia. And they went out there and they preached the gospel. Churches were started. But but really, Jerusalem remained the center of Christianity. Galatians chapter 2, Paul called Peter, James, and John the the pillars of the church, and they still resided there in Jerusalem, making decisions. Acts chapter 11, we see that Paul and Barnabas go before that council of the church in Jerusalem. And something remarkable happened when Paul and Barnabas were there with Peter, James, and John in Jerusalem. And that is a prophet got up, and he prophesied that a famine would come to Jerusalem. 
And when that happened, Peter, James, and John asked Paul to go out to the the Gentile churches and collect money for the Jewish church, for the Jerusalem church, so that during this time of famine, their their needs could be met. What was the danger that the, the church had in Jerusalem? Well, I mean, obviously, like, without any food, with, with poverty, that you could starve and die. But really, what's interesting is a lot of believers in Jerusalem were poor, very poor. And so with a famine, I mean, that's just like compounding the problem. I mean, and, and you think about it this way, since the church in Jerusalem was really where Christianity was going out from, if you kill that church, you could really hurt the movement of, of, of Christ. And so they want to send money to help this. And, and here's a question. Why were so many people poor in Jerusalem? What was it about Jerusalem that caused these believers to be poor? Well, Romans, I, I guess I didn't put this one up here. Acts chapter 6, verse 7 says this. The word of God continued to increase. And this is after Pentecost. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And listen to this. A great many of priests became obedient to the faith. So think about all those priests in the temple. They're sacrificing or or, uh, supporting the sacrifice of those animals. But then they believe that Jesus is the once for all sacrifice, that he is the lamb of God. And they trust that he is the only one that can take away their sins. What happens to their jobs? (laughs) They don't have a job anymore. And it says many priests this happened to. You can imagine there's probably many other believers that their jobs were connected to Judaism in some way, whether they got fired or whether it was connected to the temple worship there. But the point is, is you had many people that were without jobs in Jerusalem and they were believers. But even more than that, these Jewish believers, think about them, they were like ready-made missionaries. They knew the scriptures, they've been taught the scriptures. And so you can see this hub that's happening in Jerusalem where they're able to send the gospel out. And so this is going to support that gospel work and really those impoverished believers in Jerusalem. And then I put up here Romans chapter 15 because there was a second reason that they wanted to send money to the church in Jerusalem and, and help them out. Look at Romans 15. 25, notice the other reason here. At present, this is speaking of the same gift, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia, and that's where Corinth was located in. So this is after all the funds have been collected. He says, I, Paul says, I've been placed, I've been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. These churches had For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. These Gentile churches owe it to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. And so what he's saying here is another reason they're sending gifts down there is really to say thank you. The Gentiles received the gospel because Jews, like Paul, went out with the gospel. And he's saying, we want to send a gift to say, we're so thankful as Gentiles, we can share in the blessings of those Jewish believers as well. But go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and and just hone in on that purpose for the collection. And that is, it's 
for the saints. It's for the saints. The purpose of giving is to meet gospel needs. The giving to the church would support those believers and further the gospel in that area. The purpose of giving in the local church is to meet the needs of the saints. And that can happen through a variety of ways. It can happen by supporting those who are poor in the church. It can happen by supporting those who minister to souls in the church. In fact, funds were required to be given to those who are ministering the gospel. If you would, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to remind you of this text because this giving here is not isolated from 1 Corinthians 9 where Paul says that gospel workers should be paid, should be compensated by the local churches for their gospel work. Now, Paul wasn't compensated many times, and he actually didn't want to be compensated, so he didn't burden the church. Sometimes he was compensated. That was Philippians chapter 4. But notice in, notice in 1 Corinthians 9, notice verse number 14. The scripture says, in the same way, actually, let's do this. Let's back up to verse 13. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And so he uses an illustration and says, remember the temple and those who serve in the temple. Remember that people brought their offerings and those offerings they brought actually supported those in the temple. And in the same way, gospel workers should be supported by the offerings of God's people. So go back to 1 Corinthians 16, because the purpose of giving is to meet gospel needs. So let's just think about this for our church. Gospel needs in our church sometimes includes maybe widows who are struggling financially or other individuals. Maybe someone loses their job or they're struggling in another area financially in their life. Gospel needs include supporting missionaries in two weeks. Yeah, January 28th. Is that two weeks? Two weeks, January 28th. Melissa, I think you say her name, Bokron. But she's the leader, she's the director of the Community Pregnancy Center. And she's going to come here. She's going to up, give an update about the Community Pregnancy Center. But this is a good example of a ministry in our city. We just prayed that, that God would rescue some of these babies, that God would rescue the souls of some of these mothers. Like this is, we're giving. When you give, you're supporting a ministry like this. We have other missionaries that we're supporting them around the world. And so the funds that we we that we receive go to support the ministry in that way. Gospel needs are met when we, as ministers of the gospel, are paid. I'm paid. Jorge gets some compensation. The pastoral assistants get compensation, and others get some as well. And we want to say this to you. We are very thankful for that. We recognize that that comes from people sacrificially giving in the offering. And that's a biblical thing, but also it's something where we recognize that's a very humbling, 
humbling thing. So we all say thank you. Gospel needs are also met when we are able to meet in a place like this, on a property like this, so we can fellowship with one another, we can be discipled through his word, we can encourage one another. And so thank God that he's provided this for us. Thank you. Thank God that we don't have, we don't owe anything in this property. Thank God it's such a beautiful facility that God has given to us that we can meet as his church. So giving together to meet gospel needs is a ministry that God gives to us. Do you realize when you give that you're participating in a ministry? When you look at the the terms for giving in the New Testament, you see here the collection for the saints. When you see those terms, what you see is a purpose behind it. In fact, let me just show a couple of these to you. Let me show you. 2 Corinthians 8 speaks of giving, and it, it describes it like this. It's the grace of sharing, or koinonia. That's the Greek word, koinonia. The grace of sharing, the grace of, of fellowship. So when you give, you are fellowshipping together in the gospel. Or how about this one? Philippians chapter 4, verse 14 and 15 speaks about giving. And Paul, and it really was giving to Paul, and he says that they entered into a partnership, into a koinonia, into a fellowship with Paul in giving and receiving. Or how about this one? Romans 15, 27. We just read this. The Gentiles have come to share, to partner in the spiritual blessings by giving physical blessings. And then last of all, 2 Corinthians 8, 6, and 7 speaks of giving as an act of grace. It's a response of grace. In all these, what you see here is that we are ministering together to one another by giving in the offering each week. And we're giving as a response to what God has done for us. Really, you could say it this way. It's a response of worship, which is our next point. The purpose of giving is meeting gospel needs, and it's in worship of Christ. Notice in verse number one, he says that he directs all of the churches to do this. Verse number two, when are they to do this? When are the churches to take this collection Verse number two says, on the first day of the week. That's Sunday. Sunday is the day that Christ rose from the dead. John chapter 20, verse one, Mary Magdalene, she sees Jesus after he's resurrected on the first day of the week. Jesus appears to his disciples on the first day of the week after his resurrection. And from that point on, what you see is this habit of believers, Christians, meeting on Sunday to worship the risen Christ. In fact, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches on Sunday. In fact, at the very end, in Revelation, very end of the scriptures, in Revelation 1.10, John the apostle, he gives the title for Sunday. He, he says that it's the Lord's Day. So the church came to view Sunday as set aside for the Lord, set aside to worship the Lord. And so giving, it was one of the ways that they were to come on Sunday to worship the Lord. And this happened and happens in the New Testament church, 
But even going all the way back to the Old Testament, God instructed his people to worship him through giving. Would you, I know I'm having you turn in a lot of passages this morning, but go back to Exodus chapter 25. Would you turn to Exodus 25? I want to show you where God instructed Israel at one time, God instructed Israel to give. And he spoke to Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses, and he spoke of giving as a way for them to worship him. Exodus 25, look at verse number one. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take, notice this, for me a contribution. Can I ask this question? Did God need any of their gold or silver? Silver? Absolutely not. What, what's it talking about here? It's not saying, I'm God, I need something. He's saying, take it to me in worship from every man whose heart, so this is dealing with the heart, moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. So he's saying you're giving in worship. And then notice all the things that they were to bring to him. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold and silver and bronze and purple, blue and purple and scarlet yarns. And I mean, just look at all these things here, ox stones and, and spices. And that's a lot of stuff there. Let me ask this question. Where do they get all that from? Because they were slaves in Egypt, right? I mean, if you're slaves in Egypt, you don't have gold in your back pocket. So where did they get all this stuff? Do you know where they got it from? Yeah, the Egyptians. And, and how, why in the world would the Egyptians give to them? Well, the scripture says very clearly, because God is the one who so influenced the Egyptians that they would give it to him. In other words, God's saying, I'm the one who gave you that stuff. All these things they have, God gave to them. And what they're doing is they're saying, God, you've given me so much. Here, Lord, I'm going to give you a portion. Out of my heart, from my heart, back to you. In fact, if you could, go to Exodus 35. It's a couple chapters over. I want you to notice in Exodus 35, notice when it actually takes place. Exodus 35, verse 22. So they came, both men and women. This is the idea that they all came, all who were of a willing heart, so this is, this is from the generosity of their heart. This is, this is a, their own decision they're making. They brought brooches and earrings and signet rings. And, and it goes on and on. And it says, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. Because what we need to recognize when we give to the Lord, we are doing that as an act of worship. This is so important for every church, no matter if you're a church in America or if you're in a church on an island in the middle of nowhere. This is our responsibility. I was reading a story about, this is a couple months ago, about missionary John Williams. He was a missionary to the Polynesian Islands. This was in the early part of the 1800s. So he was going to these islands. They were, um, they worshiped idols. They were cannibals. 
He brought the gospel. They, were, they came to know Christ. They wanted to start a church. They built their own church. And one of the first things that these people would do is they would say, okay, here we are, God's people. God has given us this. What can we give back? In one particular island, he describes that they really wanted to give back and really for the purpose of giving the gospel to other islands, they decided they were all going to invest in pigs. And every person on the island was going to get their own pig, raise their own pig, and when it got big enough, sell it and put all the money into the gospel work. And notice and listen to what he said about these people. Each family in the island dedicated a pig to help the good work of the cause of the word of God to grow. That is growing in spiritual maturity. Recognizing it's not just these missionaries from England and from Scotland who are giving to us, but we are to give to spread the gospel. And it's an act of worship. It's a response of worship. It's a response of worship because God owns it all, but also a response of worship because God commands us to do it. You say, well, where does he command us to do it? Well, look at verse number one. Verse number one, he says, very end of the verse, so you, this is speaking of the church in Corinth, you also are to do. That last word is a command. This is saying, churches, it's your responsibility to set up a way for people to worship in this way. If you look in verse number two, he says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put aside something aside and store it up. The word you is plural. So this is speaking of the church. So this is speaking of particularly that church, the church of Corinth. So the church of Corinth as a corporate group, they are to have this, but then notice the word each is singular. He's saying every person is to be responsible for this. So let's take it on two levels. Let's go to the first one. That is the church. It is our responsibility to present to you this opportunity to serve the Lord and worship him through giving. And I want to say something to you, church, because I've been thinking about this and recognize that I've been doing something wrong. Like I said at the beginning of the sermon, I never want to peddle the word of God and never want to uh, manipulate people to give. So sometimes, actually, I don't mention giving. And, and you probably noticed that. Some of you have. Some of you that have visited said, you guys never talk about giving. And probably in a positive way you were saying that because you were saying, like, you're never forcing us or, you know, trying to pressure us to give. But as I read this text and I was even just praying through this, I realized, you know, actually, it's my responsibility to present that to you as a way for you to worship. And when I don't do that, not saying I have to do it every week, but if I don't regularly put that in front of you and remind you of that, I'm actually not pastoring you well. To, 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 I can be unbalanced. I can go from one place of, oh, I don't want to be like those other churches, so I'm not going to talk about it at all. No, we, well, it's important, though. I mean, he says each one of us is to do this. He says the church, you are to do this. And so I, I'm so glad we give our giving in the same way we do. We're not going to go around now with plates and wave it in the air and stick it in front of your face and say, here you go. You know? So we're not doing that. But I do recognize I need, to, I need to, as a pastor, bring it up more and more. And so you can notice that ankles did that this morning. I did that last week. And I'm realizing I just need to remind us that there is a way to worship the Lord in giving at our church and remind us that it is worship. But also to recognize 
This is something that each one of us is to do. I mean, that's what he says. Each one of you is to put aside. And so, children in here, does that include you? You're like, oh, I'm a child. Are you in each one? What about that money you got from grandma this year? Have you considered how you can, you can give some of that to the Lord? Or, or maybe you're a teenager and you say, oh, I just, I'm just scrounging up money wherever I can get it. <laughs> and I'm trying to save up for this or that. But are you included in the, each one if you're a believer in Christ? Are you, considered, are you included in that? Or college students, you're like, oh, I'm trying to pay the piper otherwise known as the business office. <laughs> I have so many bills, you know. Well, first of all, welcome to life. But secondly, does that exempt you from giving? Is it like, well, when I get richer, then I will give. Is that what it says in this text? When you have a lot of money, that's when you're supposed to be worshiping the Lord and giving. Is that what it says? No. And here's the problem is a lot of times we, we can make those excuses. Well, look at that person. I'm, I'm pointing over here because there's, there's nobody over here. <laughs> Look at that person. They, they're really wealthy. They can give. You know, I'm not, I don't have as much money as them. So I'm not going to give. I'm exempt from this. But there's no exemptions here. Now, you might be listening and say, Pastor Ben, you sound like a legalist. Guilting us again into money, giving money. Okay. But here's the thing. If you have guilt about it, maybe it's because you're not doing it. And the, and the answer to that isn't to feel guilty and then give. The answer to that is repent of not giving, not worshiping the Lord in that way, and then to respond in worship. And how do you respond in worship? You give because you love God. You give because you, uh, you want to be thankful for what God has given to you. You know, there's a lot of commands that God gives to us. We are all commanded as his people to sing. Should we guilt you into singing? Hey, you're not singing back there. Get up here and start singing, you know? I don't think that's probably helpful. No, we want you to sing and obey that command with joy in your heart. And the same thing is with giving. We don't want to guilt you. Hey, you're not giving. You need to give. No, we want you to give with joy in your heart. One person said it like this. There's three types of giving. Three types of wrong giving and one type of godly giving. There's guilt giving. Guilt giving says, I have to give this. Duty giving says, I ought to give this. Greed giving says, I'm giving this because I want something back. But thanksgiving says, I want to give because I love God. So this is a motive check. Why do you give? Do you give out of worship, true worship? Or do you give for another reason? The purpose of giving is to meet gospel needs in worship of Christ. And so here's a couple questions. Are you worshiping the Lord in this way? I mean, are you praying about God, what would you want me to do with this income that just came in? How can I worship you, Lord, with this? Are you recognizing that everything you have is God's and he requires you and asks you and actually not just he actually invites you to worship him in giving. Now, I know you probably have a lot of questions. What's the percentage? Do you believe in a percentage? What's the requirement? What does that look like? Well, come back next week to find that out. 
But the point is of this text in this sermon here this morning is that God has given his grace to us and a heart of worship responds by giving to him. Would you pray with me?